Hey everyone, welcome back to our podcast, a 25 year look across the spectrum. It's me, your host, Kelly Birmingham, um, BCBA since 2003. And I am talking about my 25 plus year journey working with adult and children um, with developmental disabilities and on the autism spectrum with my usual partner in crime, Jen, mom to Dylan and Ethan. Hi, Jen. Good morning. Well, you're, so much, you're so much more than that, right? And you just got a big promotion oh. <laughs> uh, with Special Olympics in California. So congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. I love what I do. <laughs> so this won't be out until next week. So it's okay. I know the announcements next it's week. Like, uh-oh, you're outing me. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations. <laughs> so Jen and I have been together. Um, her son Dylan is 22 on the autism spectrum. We've been together 18 years of those 22 years. Um, I have the privilege of being a close family friend to Dylan and his mom and their family. I have the privilege of been going through most of Dylan's milestones with him, <laughs> um, turning 18, getting his ID, delivering his conservatorship papers, um, his recent graduation from his transition program, um, the horror and hell that you're in right now where he doesn't have a placement <laughs> in yeah. January since he's turned 22 and that's a whole I'm going to get my angry hat on and we're going to go kick some butt on that <laughs> um, I, I also have a stepdaughter on the autism spectrum who's 31 and um, she does she does not have a conservatorship um, but she does know I speak about her just so people know she does not like to be on camera she doesn't like to hear her voice but she I always talk with her about anything I'm going to be sharing and, and she tells me what she's comfortable with me sharing or not sharing. And so just so you know, so Jen, this is a super fun topic. So this topic is something that has always been important to both you and I, and you and I've talked about this at length over the years and how pissed we get when people don't do mm-hmm. what we're going to be talking about. Um, and it, frankly, the, the, um, catalyst for getting our act together on this one was uh, Susan Senator, who I'm going to introduce in a minute, and a podcast, uh, sorry, a Facebook post that she made where she was super pissed. <laughs> and so we have um, two special guests today. We have Susan Senator, who I stalk. Um, and so now she knows me because I've known her because I read her books and I read her blog and I read her articles in psychology today and um, follow her journey. And so I'm super honored that she is here. She's going to share her perspective. And then we also have Lindsay Radcliffe, who is CEO and co-founder of Morningstar ABA, of which I am a huge fan of. And um, Lindsay's going to share a little bit about her story and her journey on this topic. So before we go further, we are doing this because we are addressing also for BCBAs listening, the ethical codes, right? 2022, January 1st, we have a new set of ethical code guidelines that are coming out. And if anyone has looked through these new codes, they have broken these codes down into core principles, which I super love. And so there are four code principles that are sort of supposed to guide us as therapists, um, overall guidance and how we are um, going about the practice of ABA and working with families and children and adults and our clients. So um, there is a, a core principle number two. It specifically states that as BCBAs, we are to treat others, and I'm quoting their language now, treat others with compassion dignity, and respect. 
right? Now, I would hope this applies to any professional working in this field, but as BCBAs, this is one of our very specific codes. And it says that we are treating others equitably, regardless of their age, disability, ethnicity, gender, um, marital relationship status, national origin, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, that we are treated the word equitably and with dignity, right? It also says that we respect others' privacy and confidentiality, which is why I always do this disclaimer about my stepdaughter um, and what I share and don't share and the reason why. Um, and then it says we are respecting and actively promoting our client's self-determination to the best of their abilities um, and that we acknowledge personal choice and service delivery. And so these sort of core principles, that is core principle number two, and it is the treat others with compassion, dignity, and respect that I wanna dive into um, today. And so um, Susan, if you would, <laughs> would you tell our audience who doesn't stalk you like I do a little bit about yourself and your journey, which is um, an amazing one, and sort of like the epitaph for your post on Facebook, which brought us all together. Well, it's nice to be here. Um, so I have been a writer um, since 1986, let's say, um, but that that stuff, those were novels and, you know, not published, which is good. <laughs> and um, then after, um, Natty got his diagnosis when he was three. This was like 1992, I think. Um, uh, I just kind of was submerged into the the whole world of, of autism, which at the time was was a pretty bare wasteland. There there really wasn't much uh, out there. It, no internet. Um, so that first of all. Yeah. two books in our library and one was uh, a mother's memoir uh there's a boy in here it's called wow. the other was the dsm so that was my <laughs> education at first um we learned my husband and i were a complete team in this um always have been and we learned together in our various styles kind of what to do. A lot of it was just making it up as we went along. So the, that's kind of how my books go. They're, they're about um, pragmatic strategies, um, things that failed that we tried and, and why. Um, uh, talking to other parents and, and professionals about what, what they do that works. And when I say works, I'm, I'm mostly talking about education of our guys and um, pragmatics, how to, how to live in the world. Um, so yeah. that's what I try to write about and think about. And also there's just the whole big issue of family dynamics. Yep. I have two other younger sons who are not diagnosed with autism. They're neurotypical, um, neurotypical enough. <laughs> and, um, you know, so there's also there in the equation. And our, my quest has been uh, since they've been in the world, since Nat was born, 1989, 19, uh, yeah, 1989, um, to, to really try to be a family of five and, and not be autism-centered. Um, so I, I think that, that benefits the five of us, that we, we are equal parts, and how do we live together considering this challenge? 
that's that's what I write about. And the, so the the challenge, one of the challenges has always been how to include someone who's very atypical um, and how to get the rest of the world to to behave properly and be and be compassionate, kind, and natural at the same time. And so the the post I wrote on Facebook yesterday was was my frustration with um, people I who I love um, who still are not quite getting it right and talking to me instead of to Nat and right in front of him. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just so difficult and frustrating. Um, and often the, the frustration is that I just lose the courage to address it. And then the moment passes and I feel like I'm a traitor. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm at right now. You know, and um, I think, and Jen, you and I have talked about this so much, um, is res the, I think of the reason it resonated with me is um, I've always in my, I, I, I'm going to brag a little bit because in when my work, I have always worked hard and I've made errors, don't get me wrong, but I've always worked hard to um, include the individual. So let's say I'm doing an assessment, right? I'm a BCBA. I'm doing an assessment and treatment plan because um, the funders require that, right? And they dictate what kind of tools we're going to use now that the insurance laws have passed, which is wonderful. Prior to that, it was, you know, um, regional centers or state funds, and they would dictate a lot of what we would do. And I always have added in little bits of information in my reports that included questions about maybe family dynamics, family systems, um, what is working in a family or not working, and included the person in the assessment process the whole way through. And I would say, I'm going to ask some questions. And I would say this in front of everyone. I'm going to ask some questions. Some of the questions I ask might be uncomfortable. I don't mean to. Um, some of them I might get wrong, but I'm gonna ask questions to both of you, all of you, in a manner that I'm trying to be as respectful as possible. And the questions I'm gonna ask are for all of you to answer, right? So I don't turn to the parent and say, what does he do? What does he, you know, what do you think about that? And Jen and I have always championed this because Dylan and Jen, I'll let you speak, but Dylan, you know, being relatively nonverbal, um, a lot of people assume he doesn't understand what's going on. And we know he understands everything because he could name the president, for goodness sakes, right? but he knows everything that's going on. Yeah, it, it always, um, still to this day, it's very frustrating. Um, you know, and it's a total respect level to Dylan that you know, that he is a sponge and like, it's, it's pretty amazing because when he does talk, like Kelly said, he knows what's up and he, you know, he's definitely, he's very timely and up on current events and, you know, what his interests are and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been, I would say the most difficult part of the journey and, um, Susan, like you were saying earlier, like even with some relatives, like, you know, the fact that we've been doing this 22 years and um, I, I just had a situation where um, he's been struggling when he goes um, certain places. Um, and I was asked to write out a list of um, how this person could deal with him. Um, 
<laughs> and some tips and I was thinking he's 22 years old like you you know it's hard not to feel like you haven't figured it out yet but but if that's something I need to do that will make the situation better for Dylan then I'm willing to do it but it you know it does drive you a little crazy yeah Lindsay um I'd love it if you'd share a little bit about your journey and um I know you have a lot of uh, thoughts and opinions on this topic, so please I try share. to be good. It's on my <laughs> behavior program. Um, but yeah, uh, well, what most of you know is me as a CEO of Morningstar, but um, what you don't know is um, I was raised by people with disabilities. My um, my great grandmother was the first person in the state of Illinois to take someone out of the institutions and enter her home at the time and uh, created the national model for group homes. So I grew up, I learned to read uh, by a person with quote unquote, um, profound mental retardation teaching me. So for me, labels never existed. Uh, but then, uh, you know, I fell in love with behavior analysis in college and thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave that in the past. I go home and uh, meet this guy named Jim Levesey and he just laughs and he said, sweetheart, that's what we've been doing the last, uh, the last 30 years. And yeah. I'll find out uh, my family was on the forefront of the original behavior analysis studies, including uh, my mom and my mom growing up right across the street from Nate Azrin. <laughs> so, um, but- I didn't know that, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> my grandma has stories, trust, uh, but, with that said, uh, you know, after after getting in the field and, and doing my apprenticeship, which is about 10 years long with with Jim, uh, I found out that I too have a diagnosis of autism. So I think that throughout all of those, I look at it kind of as a prism and there's different angles, but together, uh, hopefully it can create a more. Well, I hate I hate the word dignified because I, I say, you know, even shelter dogs have dignity. Uh, people need need more than that, and there's there's there is something to say about people with autism um, having having us recognize their humanity in, in this. And but with that said, I, I'm happy to be here, uh, and I I feel like I I'm, I'm I I don't really have a whole lot to say, but. The truth of the matter is people ask me, so I, I try to be obedient. Yeah, you have a lot to say. <laughs> uh, Susan, you know, if you would, part of this is one to, to, you know, get some talk out there, right? We're bringing up this topic, right? It is an ethical obligation as in my field. And I keep going back to says treat others with compassion and dignity and respect. But what does that even mean? Right? And I feel like, Susan, you articulate this well. Um, in in writings that you've done and, and work that I've seen you've done. And what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you and your son and your and your family? Um, I think it it means, first of all, an awareness, okay, that that we're all here. This <laughs> this is a full person that I'm talking about, my dear son. Um, you know, full and complex. Um, 
but it, it, it's not a typical and it's not the usual presentation of that in a person. And so it, it just takes a different way of thinking. Um, and I just, I wanna see that effort um, on everybody's part. I, I just think there's, there's no excuse not to have that. Um, in this day and age, we are trying to, to be woke. We are trying to be inclusive and understand all kinds of different situations different from ours. And I think that this is just another one of, of those kinds of, of situations. I, that's, and that had that kind of, whether I wanted it or not, became my mission was to, to put autism on the map. Um, there, there wasn't an autism speaks yeah. back then. And, you know, so I, I remember thinking, I wish we had a ribbon. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, so, so we've been do doing this for a long time already. And um, some of the work that, that you did and your, you know, with your family, um, you know, it kind of liberating people from um, the institutions, you know, that that's part of the same effort. It's you're asking society to look and see this person now. So that's where it starts. Um, and then where I came in was kind of coming up with the strategies to do that try, um, and trying to write about it in a way that people could access that, you know, just a mainstream guy somewhere in the country or in the world um, who doesn't think about this stuff. I'm hoping that my little story that, that I write about um, in psychology today, let's say, yeah. I'm hoping that that, that will, will just flick a light on for that person so that they can think, oh, okay, I get that. And then, you know, they, uh, hopefully they'll learn, they're gonna learn from me and, and, and Lindsay and everybody here and others. Um, so, I, I got a question for you. Do you think that people like by identifying as the diagnosis of autism have inadvertently objectified the individual as just the diagnoses? Well, that, that's a tough one, right? I mean, but, yeah. um, some people are, are, you know, they do identify as a minority sure. and, yeah. and that's great. And other, other people want to be something of, you know, in addition to this. Um, and I, I think it's really important to know that there's, that there's both types, yeah. both ways of thinking about it. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just uh, really appreciate your opinion. <laughs> No, that's right. I just, you know, I, I think that the whole thing about um, identity is is huge, and it's becoming more and more of a, of a thing. And I, I, in my books, I try to have both. Mm -hmm. um, I, I refer to someone like Nat as an autistic guy, an autistic person, and and then other times I say person with autism. I just kind of sure. try to hedge my bets there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I do ask people, I, I ask, you know, what do you think? How do you identify that, that kind of thing? Um, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll share, I, we talked about this earlier before we started recording. We definitely had other folks who identified on the autism spectrum that were joining us. We had two others because um, we felt important for that representation and both had to cancel at the last minute. Um, and so our intention always is to include and just the timing of that. 
um, made it a little bit difficult, but this is not the last time we're going to talk about this. Um, in, Susan, you reference strategies that are in your book. And just for people that might be listening to this, could you share a couple of the strategies that are that you talk about in your book so that other parents in your position, right? Like I know you said you were frustrated that you didn't correct the person that wasn't directly addressing Nat. Um, and so how you felt about that. And my husband and I regularly have those feelings about, you know, uh, Melanie, my stepdaughter. Um, what are some strategies that you might, that you put out there for people that are, that they can read more about in your books? Um, I, I guess I remember from a long time ago, um, talking in this way that I thought kind of alerted other people to the fact that my, that my family is a, it might be a different kind of family. So I remember even when, when we were um, getting on an airplane and the, the boys were like three and five, um, you know, saying, saying something like, yeah, I, I, Ned, it seems like you're, you're a little bit nervous right now. And so am I, and, you know, but we're just going to sit down and, you know, so I just kind of have this conversation without necessarily a, a visual response. Um, but it's kind of for the benefit of other people, cluing them in that, that, you know, we're different. So, you know, um, be, bear that in mind and, and see where it goes. So that was, I guess, one strategy was, in fact, that's what my usual strategy is. It's kind of um, keep it casual <laughs> um, and like not a big deal. And, and you can do this too, other person, you know. <laughs> Um, you know, so at our IEP, ISP meetings now, um, people will, will talk, they'll talk about how they want to include, um, but then it, it gets all awkward. So, you know, I, tr I try to keep it conversational like that. And I try to say, you know, so, so Nat, you know, you might want to think about uh, what you, what your goals are. In other words, what you want to do more of um, next, next time, you know, in the coming year. So I'm conscious of, you know, there might, there might be an, a comprehension issue, um, for, for my, for my son. And so I have to also think about, um, keeping things clear and accessible to Nat. And I'm still learning how to do that, but I, I try to model. Okay. That's the word I'm looking for. I try to model what I want to, them to, to do, other people to do and see. That's modeling is one. Um, I know that when I am training our therapists, I try to, um, we actually started something at my organization that when we are training our team members, we bring pa parents in. And part of the training is we bring in parents, Jen's done it a number of times, so that my new BCBAs that are out there and my therapists working with you know, children and families, that they hear parents' perspectives all the time. And we try to infuse the family perspective as often as we can. And um, <clears throat> one of them is how we do just what you described. And I love the modeling part. And the other language I've, I've tried to instill in my team, and you guys tell me if this if I'm doing this right or not, is, <clears throat> excuse me, I often talk about, you know, sort of like narrate the situation that's going on, just like you described, right? And so I might say, and Jen, I'm going to use Dylan's name, but I might say like, all right, Dylan, here's why I'm here. 
I am here because I'm meeting with you and your mom, and we're going to talk about these things. Here's what I'm hoping to have come out of it. Um, it may not. If, if I do something that, you know, is uncomfortable, or you don't like, let me or your mom know. And so, you know, just sort of like narrating exactly being very clear on the expectations. And then I'll often say, I'm going to, Dylan, I'm going to ask this question to you and your mom, right? Either or both of you can answer this. And most of the time, Dylan was not able to directly answer that question, but had an opinion in a manner that he'd let you know. Susan, what do you think about the way I've just des described how I train my people? Yeah, that, that sounds like what, what we try to do here. Okay. Um, and we, you know, we try to um, give examples and, and all, but at the same time, in terms of including um, Nat, including my son, it, it's, we, we try to keep things as um, simple as possible, let's say, like any extraneous adjectives or comments or, you know, I, I try to, to cut that down. Okay. Um, and you know, just to, to make sure that all of us are processing the questions that the same way or um, that we are at all processing them. And the other thing is to leave processing time yeah. for whoever might need it. And it might be a long time before there's an answer. Um, so, you know, we, we tr I try to keep that in mind too. And, and that is really hard for, for typical uh, other people to do, to realize they don't have to rush in and answer for him. Yeah. Um, to leave it, leave that silence, that hanging silence. It's hard. Um, my, my family, my cousin, uh, her name is Verna, uh, but she, she always said, uh, you've, you've made it when you can't tell the client from the practitioner. Um, that that's how you know you have created true pairing. That's how you know that you've created a relationship where people feel honestly comfortable enough to speak to you. It, it's not something that you can just say, hey, we're going to do an FBA. Uh, by the way, I'm going to ask you all of these intrusive questions. It's you have to understand um, that that relationship takes time and it might not be with the parent that they're most comfortable speaking to you about it. And as an adult, you have to be mindful of that. Um, so, and, and they may just be in, in the behavioral constructs of my mom is with me and she's going to speak for me. She has for 15 years. So you have to, you have to pull that out as well. Um, and, and that's tough. It, it's really tough explaining that to mom Yeah. <laughs> of saying, okay, I hear you. I'm going to hear you. I want to hear you. You are valuable, but I also think that your son is valuable. And I know this might sound really unorthodox and I know he only says 10 words, but I just want to spend 20 minutes with him. Is that okay? That's beautiful. <laughs> um, I will, one thing that I noticed that my husband and I do, and, and um, for you guys information, uh, my husband is an executive director for school for middle schools and high schools on the autism spectrum and then created a, a career academy, which is you know um, an adult uh, transition and employment program. And they're not calling it jobs, they call it career because that's the goal that they're trying to do, right? And so we consider ourselves pretty educated, woke family members, if you will. But you know what we do all the time? People ask our, his daughter, my stepdaughter a question and we'll answer for her. And she's perfectly capable of answering the question. 
<laughs> right? Um, she, you know, she has a job and she lives in an apartment down the street from us. And so she is absolutely capable of answering those questions. And I find that when other people around, particularly family members, where we're worried about the answer, right? <laughs> we're worried about what's going to, what she's going to say, which is bad on us, right? Or she's taking too long, too long to process, to answer, we will jump in and fill it for her. And every time I catch him doing it, or he catches me, we're both like, oh, why are we people who we consider, you know, knowledgeable, woke, educated, still doing this? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's one of those things, like, I feel like a fish in a bowl that's taken to the table, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> Most of the time, when I'm uh, at a family event, it's okay, Lens is here. This is great, but we don't actually want her to speak about anything because God forbid what comes out of her mouth, which that doesn't probably have anything to do with my autism, but um, it, it, it's we, we, we stop at inclusion being a physical thing <laughs> instead of an emotional uh, and in relational thing. And, and a part of that is really genuinely finding your people yeah and and also just being okay with with different and uh and that's tough it's not an easy task it's not i mean we're doing it we did it over christmas grandparents ask a question we answer well and it's it's easy for me to slip back into that yeah. even though i'm a ceo of a company yeah. when i went to to Christmas Eve at my grandma's house, I shut up and played with Play-Doh with the kids because I wasn't allowed to talk. You know, I mean, that's, it, it goes both ways. You have to teach that self-advocacy. That's interesting, wow. Jen, I know you have stories and you've been a strong advocate for always having, and your parents are so like, I mean, they're so into Dylan and, and, and like just embrace and love him. I know, cause I know your parents, but you've dealt with this a lot. How have you managed it? Cause I know it's happened a lot for you. Um, I think a lot, like Susan says, I try to like lead by example and with Dylan, um, because he is limited on, um, I would say verbal communication. He's definitely not limited in communicating. Um, you know, I try to talk to him from day one, um, like like I talked to my other son. I have a younger son who's um, 20 and third year of college. He just left yesterday. He was with us um, for the holidays, and that was a great interaction, and it's kind of really cool to see how it evolves now that they're both adults, but, um, you know, I... I talk to Dylan like he's anybody else, and I try to model that so in hopes that other people will do the same. Um, you know, it was kind of funny when you guys were talking about um, how you refer to people um, or, or if you do refer to a diagnosis or say he has autism or he is autistic. Um, Dylan, um, Don thinks he's like the coolest person out there. He thinks everybody else has an issue, you know, and sometimes I think maybe that's true. Um, but Kelly will remember it was pretty cute because I, you know, I'm pretty open. I definitely, my younger son has always known what autism is. He's only 23 months younger. 
but it's interesting because I never told Dylan like you're autistic like you know it, he was always going to all these therapies and there's a you know special day class all that but it didn't really dawn to him I don't think but he had the um his perception was that the autism speaks walk was his walk <laughs> and that everybody was there for him and I remember that but what Kelly is probably like six or something yep. at the time when he was like it's my walk everybody's here <laughs> um and that was his perception of what you know autism is and stuff um you know it, it is hard not to get you know be mom and get upset or you know be like why don't you understand my kid or why are you looking at him like that but I think I've, you know, toughened up a lot over the years. Um, and, you know, I, I just try to make the best life for Dylan. And I try not to, you know, let things get to me or get to him. But luckily, I think he's just got such a great personality and is such a jokester and stuff that anyone that knows my kid definitely, like, he, they love him. So, it is true. I mean, the self-esteem that you've encouraged and supported in Dylan is awesome because, and I mean, he just lives his life, mm -hmm. living his life. And he is like the cool kid and rules the neighborhood. And yeah, it's and a joke. They even said it on his, when he just graduated from his transition program that we live in a city called Tustin and he's referred to like the mayor of Tustin. Like I can go out with him because he's out all the time. He's very much like someone that's be in the community. And like, I can walk in a store and someone just starts having a tall conversation with him. Hey, Dylan, blah, blah, blah. And I have no idea who these people are, but they definitely know my son. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's it's supposed to be. Yeah, it for sure. And, and just for the record, you know, as a person that worked mostly in my early career with, with folks that were always institutionalized, you have to realize that profound value that you've given to your son, yep. because it, it doesn't just exist. Um, in fact, quite the opposite. Yep. So kudos to you. Oh, thank you. I love this kid or man now. <laughs> Boy, man. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, my, my, stepdaughter's 31 this necklace it's the first gift she's purchased on her own and thought for me it's a k it's a gold k and mm -hmm. i was and like i said she's quite capable adult she lives independently um her housing is subsidized mm -hmm. financially but she does live independently and no one thought that would ever happen and um and has a job and she actually called me yesterday and said i need to know if and, and I'm, I'm probably using more words than she did, and I should keep it to her language um, position, but basically I'm quitting my job. They're mean to me, and I don't deserve to be treated like that. And um, she works at a grocery store, and she had previously worked at a Rubio's restaurant, and they, she was so successful at that job because they owned her, and um, they embraced her as one of them, as an employee, not someone who is there, um, who, you know, look at, we've hired the person with the disability oh, and, yeah. you know, and look at us, this is what we do, how great we are. Um, they just, they never looked at her that way ever. And they just treated her as, 
a good fellow coworker, and she did leave that job a few months ago for lots of pressure reasons from a family member that we don't need to get into. But um, she called yesterday and basically said, am I dumb? And I said, you're never dumb, but tell me why. And she said, you know, I want to go back to Rubio's. The people there were nice to me and the people at this new place are not nice to me. And I said, you should go work where people are nice to you. And she said, well, that's what I want to do. But I know you guys have taught me not to quit a job until I have another job. So I called them and they said they would take me back anytime. And my husband was like, we have tears pouring down our face. Like, what the? <laughs> 31 was a banner year in our, you know, in our family. Like, that is freaking awesome. <laughs> For her to say, like, someone was mean to me. I'm not going to take it. I'm going to go to where people are nice to me. It doesn't matter the job. For her yeah. it's the people yeah you got it that's that's exactly what it's supposed to be and that's yeah. what i meant by objectifying like people like in especially because i again i my background is also in employment of individuals with disabilities they see people with disabilities i'm sorry as a trinket yeah as a as a as a as an item where they can they can check off at the end of the year that they had social justice and a tax write-off <laughs> well, yeah don't forget that if they even remember that but it's it is it is acknowledging the autism and never forgetting it but at the same time being brave enough to push through to the human yep. and then having that relationship with the human because it oh it, there's so many agencies and so many folks out there that that stop and i don't know if they stop because they're scared or they stop because they don't know any better mm -hmm. um and, and that's where I think BCBAs have to get really good at training self-advocacy. Yeah. And the, you know, the new sexy word being assent. And yes, yes, that the, is the new sexy word. <laughs> yes. My, my BCBAs asked me, they're like, so what do you think about assent? And I said, I don't know what that means. <laughs> they're like, you've been doing it for 30 years. And I'm like, oh, that. Yeah, we yeah. have to rename everything. <laughs> that, that's just called good Southern manners. <laughs> you just ask somebody what they want so I, I i mean it's it's genuinely about pushing in and finding that person and 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 that's why we at morningstar created the entrepreneurial advancement center because i saw over and over us trying to fit a round pig and a round peg into a square hole and no matter how many times we did it it wasn't gonna work so why not use our creativity in autism and use our creativity and behavior analysis to, to customize an opportunity for employment then to also include purpose. So we can we can match these things using specialized assessments so that the people want to wake up in the morning because that is the goal as an adult with autism. You want to wake up in the morning and you want to give something that you can only give you know, to the world. Sorry, that's a plane. That's right. <laughs> that's right. You're outside in beautiful North Carolina. It's worth yes, it. Yes, it is pretty. Susan, is there anything? I mean, you're the expert. You've been doing this longer than us. Um, you know, what can we tell our families and our ABA therapists about this? As sort of like parting remarks to like the the thing they take and hold on to when they turn this off. Um, what I was thinking of when Lindsay was talking is like the sort of the, we do this, the same thing. Um, I call it staying on his side. Ah. Um, and it, uh, that often comes up when um, 
I don't, I, when there's a meltdown, I don't like that term meltdown, mm -hmm. but I mean, if, if there's an issue that's upsetting mm -hmm. Nat, um, it, it kind of started um, when he was 12. Unfortunately, I didn't really discover this till, till he, he was 12, but there was this period of, of loud laughing, loud fake laughing. Um, and it wasn't me. <laughs> and, um, it was, it was um, a d really difficult uh, behavior to, to deal with. And I, and I remember just um, being at a loss and being very tired of it and exhausted and sitting down on the couch with Nat when he was doing that one, one afternoon and just kind of like started like tickling him a little bit passive aggressive, like tickling him and saying, so what's so funny? And it ended up being this, he, he ended up like looking at me and, and laughing. Um, and we were both laughing all of a sudden. And it was kind of this, um, it dawned on me. He's, he's trying, he's just trying to push my buttons. He's, he's like teasing me and kind of like that, that made it better to realize that. And, and we could just be, be together in this, um, otherwise challenging, what had been a challenging behavior. Um, and at the same time, my husband discovered the same kind of thing. It was really interesting um, because this was a period where, where uh, Nat was aggressive. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband, Ned, would just still like, like he even does now, just go out on walks together, on long walks and, you know, the whole thing was not to, 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 I don't know how to put this, but except that it, it was about not being afraid of him. Mm -hmm. um, this, he said to me, Ned said, my husband said, it's about just realizing this is my kid. Mm -hmm. And so he, you maintain that, that bond, you maintain that connection, even if something um, scary or annoying is happening. Um, so I, I have been thinking of that as, as staying on his side and that, that, that maintains the empathy that maintains the bond. Um, cause you never want to be in this position where he's the other. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We call that the therapeutic alliance. When I worked with folks at the institution, um, I worked with them when they were at the workshop. So outside, um, and I always sat and had coffee with them because I felt like I was more like them than the staff. <laughs> That's how I always uh, feel too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but funny, funny to say they have words for us that they don't share and they call it uh, the inside and the outside. So they have two different sets of behaviors. And they said, if we're on the outside, this is what we do. But if we're on the inside, this is what we do. Wow. And um, it's <sighs> mind blown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because when we can recreate that alliance and that trust, we, we can, we can start to view life the way they view life. And it starts to make sense because, you know, in behavior analysis, determinism is, is an actual thing, you know, like yep. people do things uh, for very good reason. And, and starting to understand that will also help us care for them um, and to actually give them respect yep. um, in, in the word, respect us as the word that we use for for the outside people instead of just the inside wow very cool wow wow jen you do that all the time with dylan 
Yeah, I mean, I tried it. That's pretty amazing that you just said that. I know, we're both like. <laughs> yeah, but I can, I mean, I can kind of see that. I mean, like you said, we know, you know, they're smart. They're, you know, we know that they're taking everything in and the fact that they're expressing that to you, that they're, you know, purposely, you know, changing their reactions or behavior based on where they are. I bet, I mean, don't we all do that? I guess in yeah. a certain sense, so. We do, and, and not to turn it dark at all, but I think it's really important to say, especially with an ethics CEU, yep. Kelly, um, if you're working with adults, there is a very high likelihood that they've been hurt yep. either sexually or physically by a person that was a therapist. Yep. So if nothing else, take five seconds and breathe before you go into that room, because I can guarantee you they're probably afraid. Yeah. I think back, uh, back in the many moons ago, it was, I think 93% of people with developmental disabilities had some sort of abuse by the time they were 18 or 21. Don't, don't quote me on those things. Yeah. I promise. <laughs> don't send me emails. I swear. <laughs> it is a higher percentage than the general population for oh, sure. Oh, it's, it's obscenely higher. And, um, and I, I don't think, and I think, which I'll talk about at Texaba, but I think that has everything to do with the way we treat our children in EIBI services. Yep. Because we don't teach that alliance. We don't teach the, the dignity and the ability to say no yep. and get your effing hands off me. Mm -hmm. I don't care if I'm poor. You can toilet train me without putting your hands on me. I do. <laughs> I just did that webinar yesterday. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, there are things that we can yeah. do. Sorry. No, but you know, um, oh my gosh, this is like, I'm geeking out so massively on this conversation, by the way. And <laughs> I hope it's as enthralling for you all as it is me, but um, it does make me think. So um, early on, um, I, and Jen, I'm going to share your story and stop me because it's your story to tell, by the way. <laughs> um, but I'm so stop me when it's when I need to um but mm -hmm. early on um I can remember um when Dylan was larger and scary he was quite aggressive mm -hmm. um and scary and um I can remember that that Labor Day where he beat the crap out of you yeah yep right <laughs> just beat the crap out of you uh, he was you know bigger and stronger and um you know, a couple of things that come to mind is, is we used to put him in holds at that point mm -hmm. because he was so frankly dangerous to you as he was getting older. And I look back and thought, shit, right? Like, was that what we should have done? Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you went through training for it, mm -hmm. CPI training, and I went through training. And then we did switch it where we weren't doing holds anymore because we wanted to do it better. And we would do a lot more blocking and safe spots, right? Like taking your closet mm -hmm. and making it a safe cool down spot and emptying everything out, taking off the glass door and filling it with things that, you know, squishy things and things. Like that. So take yeah. over. This is your story. Take over. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, at what at the time he was so aggressive that you know just physically outpowering me that you know I was just desperate to both help him 
my main goal is always that I was worried he was going to hurt himself. Yeah. You know, the self-injury um, or possibly he, you know, he would usually target me. You know, he didn't really go after my other son. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that I wish, you know, like look back, of course, and like, could I have done this differently? But I did go through like multiple trainings, like when many different yeah. um, capacities and I, you know, did what, you know, at the time felt right, but I did completely, there was a very short period of time, thank goodness. Yeah. And but then we started different strategies and like to this day, the first thing when I just toured a adult day program for him was the first thing I said is like, my son has a lot of behaviors and um, I want to make sure though that you don't restrain him, which is like the first thing I like literally said, um, you know, because this is to the point where Dylan, you know, he, re he responds and reacts really well to, you know, specific strategies and that's just not one of them now, but um, there was not just the time when, you know, the few times that he was definitely beating me up, but I used to have terrible time in the car yep. um, where when every time we hit a red light, he would try to pop his seatbelt off mm -hmm. and tell me to drive. And he would try to jump over the back seat. I keep him in the back seat um, and, you know, either start hitting me or trying to strangle me or grab the wheel and stuff. And um, Kelly helped me with that. And we bought like a special seatbelt, all the stuff which you could pop open. But I learned to like big SpongeBob you know, pillow. Yeah, I learned to be able to drive with one hand on the wheel and one hand trying to hold his hands down until I could pull over. I mean, these are like crazy times. But of course, like I feel completely guilty on yep. any time I've ever had to like you know do anything with him. And I know even when I was restraining, I was doing it like in the safe you know, way where it, I think I was stressing myself out probably more about it than Dylan was probably taking it. Cause when he is in the moment of having the meltdown, it's like, I don't even think he is aware. Like, I'm not sure it's just, he's just doing it. But once he's done, he's like completely past it. And then it'll take me like three days to yep. get over it myself. So I don't know, Susan, if you had any situations like that and um but it's just it's so gut-wrenching as a mom like you know to deal with yeah I mean my husband and I joke about how we're just mm. going to hell we're just we're just gonna go to hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> so many mistakes yeah um, but you know but I I like the idea you know when you were talking about the the um refitting that closet okay mm -hmm. um Nat's classroom did that too. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it there was a window, um, but you know, uh, and you might, there, there might be people who will call it a timeout room. Mm -hmm. That inclusion is mm -hmm. a huge um, controversial thing. Yep. But I'm telling you, because of that rest space, that quiet space, Nat got past a lot of difficult times without any restraint and no one getting hurt. So mm -hmm. I, I feel like, um, you know, people shouldn't judge if, if these things are, are, um, are compassionate and, and monitored and, you know, mm -hmm. um, now he, there isn't the need for that. Um, it's more like, you know, 
why don't you sit down at that table? Mm -hmm. And even more than that, there's like, let's figure this out. And what I've been learning, a new thing I learned recently was speaking really quietly mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and kind of even acting like, I don't really care what you're in. You know, like there's just this attitude of like, I'm not, I'm not gonna put you on the spot. We're gonna, I'm gonna just quietly try to get you to say that one word so that I'll know what the problem is. Mm -hmm. And and so to me, it's it's kind of easy not would now because um, I have to just find that that one word and, and figure out, okay, so you're saying winter. Okay, so I think that means that you, you don't like that we're not having snow. We're in Boston, but there's no snow. <laughs> How could this be winter? But the, the real question was, will I still have Christmas? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So once we got <laughs> that, we could, I could explain, you know, this is how it is. The weather, it's going to snow at some point, but right now it's not, but we're still going to New Hampshire for Christmas with Grandpa Batch. And we did that, right, Nat? He's over there. Awesome. <laughs> Listening carefully, because it is still winter. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason, sorry, Linda, the reason I bring this up is because I'm going to go back to this topic of dignity and respect, right? And so there's no question, both Jen and I, you know, re reflected together over the years, like, wow, like we did restrain him because that was what we felt we needed to do it at the time. But, and Lindsay, this brings in your topic, this, your, your, you know, soapbox about, you know, we used to be engineers as BCBAs, you know, in the ABA field. And so in what we started to do was say, you know, we don't want to respond this way. What are other ways can we respond that provide Dylan the opportunity to advocate for himself, go to the space if he needs it, right? Um, to respond in a way that was comfortable for him. We were also giving him some like respect and dignity saying, we can see you're upset. You can't do this to us but you can go there. And then, you know, all of a sudden, Ethan, as he's growing up, figures out, well, when Dylan's starting to have a meltdown, I'm just going to tickle and play with him and wrestle with him. Right. And as a BCBA, <laughs> right. Looking as an assessment, how many times a BCBA would be like, that's absolutely the wrong thing to do. Right. Our field would typically say, no, you're reinforcing this behavior, right. This bullshit. <laughs> and I know there's a whole wave now where there's like, you know, you're happy, you're relaxed and you're engaged in this movement on the East coast about, you know, not doing that, but we've been doing that for years where we were like, wait a minute, is that reinforcing bad behavior? Well, wait, you know, this is helping the family dynamic. This is a therapeutic alliance, right? This is how we are creating dignity. And it worked. And as, a, as an ABA person at first, I'm like, whoa, do I approve of this treat, you know, behavior plan? And then I thought, of course I do. <laughs> right? It doesn't, does it fit my functional, you know, my um, functional behavior analysis that I did? No, it doesn't fit at all, <laughs> right? It clearly reinforced the, ch the challenging behavior, but it worked for Dylan and it worked for you and it worked for Ethan. Yeah. And then he had some dignity and they managed through a situation together themselves. And why wouldn't we want that, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I was thinking of the same, the same thing when Nat was in school. Um, he went to an ABA school for most of his school life um, but one, one of the things that we loved about that school was not necessarily their ad adherence to ABA, uh, which, you know, that, that, was, that was fine in teaching him skills and things, but was the attitude of the teacher 
um, they just liked him mm -hmm. and found, yeah. or you find something to like, but they, they, found, they really liked him and always got the best results because of that. He could yes. feel, he could feel that. Of course he could. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that, that having that kind of positive glow and looking for humor, um, yeah. that doesn't get in the way of what you're trying to teach. That helps. Yeah. You know, I just want to clarify, like we we at Morningstar, we do have a restraint policy. We work with folks that are very complex and have self-injury that would be um, that would put it, put them back in the hospital. So, I mean, it's not a it's not a uh, we're not anti we're yeah. not anti. Yeah. But but with that, I will tell you what my mentor told me. And restraint is the most reinforcing intervention for a staff. Yes. And when you do that, you must understand the power of it. And you're also at the same time desensitizing the individual that it is okay for other people to put their hands on them. Mm -hmm. And and those two things are extremely powerful for the entire per, for the for the person's entire life. So it, it should be taken with that type of gravity. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, let's close on that because, um, and I just realized I got excited and was rocking in my chair at my words and I probably made a lot of noise because it's chair. So it's going to not bode well in the podcast, but because <laughs> I was so excited. Um, but what you guys just said was incredibly powerful. I hope that other BCBAs who are listening for CEUs just freaking got that. <laughs> and then parents heard all of this and, you know, walk away with some strategies and we're going to just end this with like, you know, compassion, dignity, and respect. And then Susan, you said they just, you know, they just liked him, <laughs> right? And that's so missing nowadays in our newly minted BCBAs, right? And some of our professionals, like the humor and they just like, they're awesome. And why wouldn't we all? So thank you all for doing this and joining us this morning on New Year's Eve. <laughs> I'm going to end start my year totally fulfilled for this by this. So thank you guys. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Fun. Thank you.